Welcome to the Motoring Podcast, your weekly discussion of motoring news. This is episode 503 on Tuesday, the 6th of December, 2022. Hello, I'm Alan. Hello, I'm Andrew. And this week, we'll be delighted that cars are connected to the internet. We pass on some inspiration for the grim winter. And now it's December, we can finally open our advent calendars. Six days into December. I know. Well, we can't help that. We told the calendar that it needed mm-hmm. to change to fit us, and it didn't. I know. Just It's just not on. Anyway, the, thankfully this time, the SMMT calendar did fit with us. There's no follow-up this week. Straight into new news. And, of course, November's new car registration figures. It's actually good news, I think, this time. Uh, it is. It's a jump and not just on the back of last year, although it's not quite to pre-pandemic levels. It is a good chunk upwards. It is. It's quite significant jump uh, it's uh, 23.5% uh, so 142,889 units were registered last month vehicles what plug in took 27.7% of new registrations of course that's battery electric vehicles and plug in hybrids of their various flavors that's great. SMMT is making calls about charging infrastructure because that seems to be the fun challenge at the moment. It's just kind of funny, uh, the shares of some of these. I mean, it, it's diesel now is 3.9%. When we started this show, it was just over 50%. Mm. just seems crazy. It just seems crazy what the, what the change is uh, then, what a, what a big chunk there is. Market share for November, 3.9% just for diesels. Electric vehicles um, are well up. Let's actually open now Tristan Young's grouped by what you put in your car. He didn't put it out on Twitter this week. It's on brokennews.co.uk as a full article surrounding that and surrounding the all these fun figures. So do click through. The link will be in the show notes as ever. But no, battery electric vehicles may have just over 15% of vehicles registered. Uh, this month, petrol uh, was 68, diesel was just about 9.8. And if you wonder why that differs, obviously, then so sort of many of the hybrids are correctly gathered between petrol and diesel on this chart, as opposed to just lumped in as a hybrid vehicle. Yep. Last but not least, plug-in hybrids made up six and a quarter percent of the market share. Electrics, very high this month. Part of that comes down to the best sellers, which uh, we'll run through and then you'll understand just why there is quite a skew in there. Number 10 for November was the Toyota Yaris. Take a drink, everyone. I'm going to say that before Andrew does. (laughs) With 2,272 units registered. That's just five behind number nine, which was the Volkswagen Polo. And then there's a small gap before we get to the Volkswagen Turok. Seven is the Ford Puma with 2,408 units. Six is the Volkswagen Golf. Fifth is the Vauxhall Corsa, not at the top for a change. No. And fourth is the Ford Fiesta with 2,869 units registered. Third is the Mini, 3,312. Second, fair old jump here, is the Tesla Model Y. Uh, You'll remember, those of you with eagle ears, that last month Tesla registered a whopping total of six new vehicles in the UK (laughs) in the month of October. So you can sit here, you can wave your arms in the air and go, yeah, yeah, look at this, everybody's buying Teslas. Uh, That's at least two months worth, if not two and a half months worth. So is that one or two boats that came in then? 
Uh, I don't know. It may uh, no, just the one boat. Otherwise, it would have been at the top, I suppose. Okay. Do bear that in mind. That's a couple of months worth of inflated dolphins there under the Tesla Model Y. Uh, number one, we've passed the Fiesta, we've passed the Corsa. What could it possibly be? It's the Nissan Qashqai with 5,636 units registered. Now, the big uh, surprise and the big change here is, of course, with such low, relatively low Corsa registrations, that means the Qashqai is actually the most registered new vehicle this year or new car this year. So far, with 39,198 registered, the Corsa is in at second with 34,663, and the Ford Puma, 33,306. Mm-hmm. Real push on bigger cars at the top of the registration figures, but again, it's all down to supply and demand. The supply still isn't 100% there. No, not even close. And there's a lot of pent-up demand for certain vehicles. Yes, there is. Shall we switch around to the, oh, by the way, registration figures that higher than last year, uh, with 142,889, that's higher than 2021, higher than 2020, only a smidgen down on 2012, higher than 2011, higher than 2010, and much higher than, than 2008. Say so not pre-pandemic, uh, we need to be passing the 150, pushing 160,000 to registrations to reach that, but it's definitely much, much higher and not a, oh my goodness, look at that. Yeah. Look at that hole in the chart for the last 12 years <laughs> um, uh, that you would expect. It is a relatively healthy looking figure, which is good. More of those, please. Yes. More of those. Anyway, spreadsheet to doom, Andrew. Yes, it's not as much doom this time, so I'll quickly sprint through this. And with a lot of these percentages, it is small numbers we're talking about, which you'll guess when you hear the marks that I discuss. So Alfa Romeo are down at 47%. Fiat are down 39%, Jaguar are down 45%, Jeep are down 38%. Then we have Maserati that's down 60%, Mercedes-Benz, now this is a fairly significant though, down 29%. And last year they registered 7,329 vehicles, this year only 5,193. Do you think that might be A-class demand? Um, A and C-class demand? It's the most likely possibly but also they will well all the manufacturers are targeting the more profitable vehicles and don't forget their mercedes are doing a big push on their electric side of things now that they have the eqc eqe saloon eqs suvs whatever's all the the various things they now offer (laughs) that are Mm -hmm. advertised everywhere They also said they were putting a big push on, sorry, sorry to interrupt, big push on some of the higher end vehicles in their range, uh, which makes me wonder about just there isn't the supply of the A-class and the fleet busters. No. So maybe people are moving away from those and moving towards, I don't know, Tesla Model Y. Yeah, it depends how, how big their pent-up demand is hmm. tied in with how everybody's going, my gosh, isn't stuff expensive? Well, yes, I don't know whether that's all. really kicking in yet that we'll see because there was the pent up in the in the market there has been the pent up mm. demand i think there's going to be a staggered visibility of that mm-hmm. so, sometime in next year well just looking at the figures sorry we're zipping back and forth here just looking at fleet figures are down 10 percent year on year business is up um private is up just a smidgen i think losing quite a lot of that fleet market might be in there yeah Anyway, sorry, back to the spreadsheet of doom. That was an aside. Peugeot down 54%. So again, that's quite a chunk. So last year, 
Mercedes figure this year, 5,193. And this year, only 2,387. Smart is down at 64%. Sanyong is down 47%. I forgot that they still did things over here, actually. Alan, do you want to take us back up from the bottom in more happiness? Uh, well, yeah, there's, there's quite a lot of green, actually, so I will zip through these. Other British. I guess that's Morgan, Caterham. Ariel. Ariel, Noble. all these kind of goodies. Right, up 28%. Volkswagen, up 59%. Toyota, up 22 Tesla, up 95%. Uh, again, depends when the boat comes in. But still, you know, that's 6,025 6, vehicles registered. Mostly, I guess, across Model Y and Model 3. Mm. Up 95%. Suzuki, up 46%. Skoda, up 51%. Polestar, up 115 <laughs> uh, Nissan up 85, MG up 20, Mazda up 52. That's good because last month was a really rubbishy month for Mazda. Yeah. Uh, well, same for Toyota and Lexus, by the way. So Lexus up 128% on top of Toyota up 22%. Land Rover up 25%. Go the Defender. <laughs> Kia up 19%. Honda up 60%. Genesis win the MG Award for ridiculous percentages. <laughs> uh, hopping from 23 to 199, and that makes a 765.22% increase. Well done. Uh, Ford up 111%. Supply and demand last year was just awful for them. DS up 70. Dacia up 60. Cupra up 48. Audi up 49. Dacia up 160. Oh, pardon me. That's yes, 160. Audi up 49. Alpine up 15%. You know, when they you sell. You register for four more cars. It does make a big difference when you're at Alpine type scale. So yes, lots of good, bright news. Uh, loads of others up, just didn't quite make the thresholds. Yep. So overall positive, and mm. particularly if you have a plug. Yes, yes, yes. It's plugging great. Yes. <laughs> Speaking of plugging great, Andrew, stick with that. Ford is going to invest 125 million in the Halewood plant on Merseyside where they will be producing their electric drive units, of which by 2026 they hope they will be making 70% of the drive units used throughout Europe in their various factories, which is great for the UK car industry because we've seen so many gloomy stories recently. Mm -hmm. And to be fair, there has been very little to cheer <laughs> we will cheer if we can, honestly. But this is good because they've got 500 workers in Halewood. This will no doubt mean that there are more workers are required. And it goes to combine with the investment they're already doing at their van design centre in Dunton in Essex, yep. along the lines of electric vehicles as well. They hope to be up and running with 420,000 electric drive units by 2024. Excellent. That is good news, especially because they've been looking at and scaling back their operations in Germany Yeah, as well. So having that in the UK is, is a big plus. I'm sure that was, they, they fought hard for that. Yeah, it, w it would not be easy. More very brief good news there. Uh, RIMAC is increasing its R&D office in Warwick. Previously, they employed uh, about 30 people and they are looking to double that in 2023 that's good news a good thing uh, rimac of course own bugatti now yes porsche have quite a significant stake in them and they are thought of very good 
in terms of electrification and uh, sort of high performance end of the market. Yeah. Experts and that kind of stuff. Yeah, they're looking to expand the workforce in control systems, electrical and battery system engineering. Makes a lot of sense when yes. they're mostly about EV powertrains, you know. <laughs> quite, quite. Talking of more money being invested in things, and the government is going to fund up to $11 million for a project looking at alternative zero-emission vehicles for the more remote areas of the UK, particularly industrial site or industrial usage. Toyota are going to head up this project where they're going to look at creating a hydrogen-powered Hilux model or several models and then locating them, I presume, in the highlands and places like that would seem to be the prime opportunity and seeing how well, if you have the supply of uh, fuel, how well this works, which it seems like it should. Now, I'm not sure whether this is a normal engine that runs on hydrogen type project or it is the hydrogen fuel cell system. I presume it's the second one because that's the experience that we have. And we were only talking the other week about the diesel engine that had been converted, weren't we, in Australia on a test bed. Toyota are using hydrogen burning internal combustion engines, but no, this system uses fuel cells from the latest uh, Toyota Mirai. It is fuel cell based. Okay, yep. This makes quite a bit of sense. I would imagine that one of the places they're going to test them out would, well, if I were them, one of the places I'd be testing them out is Shetland, where, of course, there is a hydrogen generation, a wave-powered hydrogen generation facility. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's Shetland. I'm, I'm now having doubts as to whether it's the Orkneys. I'm pretty sure it's near Lerwick in Shetland. That, for example, would be a very good one because you're generating, you know, you're generating the fuel locally and renewably. That would be a kind of sensible place. I'm not sure about the middle of the Highlands because you've still got to manage to try and deliver liquid hydrogen to somewhere like that. But this, so fuel cell, again, we've said before, fuel cell and commercial vehicles makes a lot of sense. And we've always said, well, fuel cell and commercial vehicles where it's, uh, uh, yeah, it's going to be for big trucks going long distances, quick refueling. The other side of that is actually that sometimes when you've got mining and things, you don't have great infrastructure. You're sort of at the end of the line for things. Mm. You can't have powerful charges if you've got many electric vehicles, these kind of things, whereas the amount of energy you need to run a hydrogen pump is very low. For example, if you've got the hydrogen, the fuel stored, essentially the energy stored in the hydrogen, you need a little bit more energy to get it from the big tank of energy storage into the little tank of energy storage in the vehicle. And then you can run your vehicles essentially zero emission, so you can run them into the mine, into the tunnel, into uh, both inside and outside any industrial spaces, and you can do it there. It makes it, it does make a, a lot of sense. I think I've run out, I've run, if you excuse the pun, I've run out of steam at that point. <laughs> no, but this is something we've always talked about, isn't it? Is There is a multi-pronged approach to what our future will be. And this is another example of showing, whilst it might not be for the mainstream vehicles on our roads, it has a place to play. And therefore, everyone who gets very snooty about, and I've been polite there, snooty about the idea of this being investigated, Mm. need to just ratchet it back a bit because there isn't one single magic bullet that is going to allow us to continue doing what we have been. It's quite interesting because this same program have funded another couple of things going to this article nautica they've also included farm waste powered tractors tractors that run on methane i imagine 
and obviously hydrogen-powered HGV caps, which I've already mentioned. But if you can use the right alternative fuel for the right place and the right spot, then that makes a lot of sense. Again, hydrogen for farms, farms in many cases, certainly in, in the highlands, tend to be, again, end of the electricity lines. Mm. It's not a great connection. You can't pump loads of power down to charge many things. Again, a two-pronged approach of, okay, let's get the energy we need to power our stuff in in one way and then just use the, the what's available, the electricity that's available on site to sort of use that as, for transferring. It's great. If you live in the city, if you only have to drive on motorways and, and around uh, built-up areas, then I can understand the snootiness towards some of this. But actually, if you go a bit outside many of those zones, and you, you, you do hit the wilderness. <laughs> um, <laughs> then you, you do kind of realize wait a minute there's there's we can't just charge stuff yep obviously EV's more efficient blah 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 blah. just not always the most convenient yeah that was that was me trying to palm off stuff <laughs> so you being very nice <laughs> right to save my blood pressure this next article's gone to you do you want to hack into this for us Oh, a little bit. I'm sorry. I'm, I'm just so appalled by the terrible pun. <laughs> There's a couple of links in the show notes talking about ethical hacking and unlocking cars, setting off the horns, all sorts of fun things with only the VIN number, which is often readily displayed and available via the windscreen of a car. Yes. They've found a flaw, particularly in some of the systems provided by a company called Sirius XM. You may have heard, if you've been reading, if you've read sort of North American motoring magazines or speak to people, you, you've probably heard of Sirius XM. I know I've mentioned it on Twitter in the past because they keep trying to push me a subscription to their satellite radio service. And that's what everybody thinks of when you talk about Sirius XM because that's the consumer facing side. Turns out they also provide not just music subscriptions they provide a lot of remote services for automobile manufacturers they have a platform and yeah it's embedded into many cars and if you reverse engineer just what information is being sent back and forth you can find out quite a lot of stuff you can find out the the data formats of the of the conversation of the exchange and some of the things you need are very much in plain text. Yes. Including the identifier of the vehicle. It turns out the identifier is the VIN number. With a VIN number and an understanding of the, the interactions between, between vehicle and base station, you can pretend to be the base station. And as a result, uh, you can send commands to the vehicle, including unlock, sound a horn, all sorts of other fun stuff like that this affects vehicles from honda nissan acura infinity and maybe a couple of others as well i saw bmw well bmw and audi use the system too but it's not it's slightly different it doesn't list of their customers includes and these not all these are affected as alan's just pointed out acura bmw honda hyundai infinity jaguar land rover lexus nissan subaru and toyota mm -hmm. in north america Yes, this is this is very much a North American issue because it's Sirius XM. But what it does go and show, because of the way that this the, the vehicle is identified, is the absurdity of anyone claiming one that data is anonymized. He's off, folks. It's not. And but number two, this is such this is gobsmackingly basic. Mm. This is eye-wateringly basic and 
It really is. Oh, it just made me, it makes me so angry. It makes me so angry that someone thought this was suitable to put out in the world. And to anyone who keeps saying to me, you're a bit tinfoil hatty and all the rest of it when we get these stories every week. Yeah. Security through obscurity is not obscurity when you have millions of units out there, by the way. Yeah. It's just so disappointing because it is so basic. It really is basic. You're putting commands over the over the air and it's all it's it's not it's just not really covered up in any way shape or form i mean i know that from from day job this is this is not good stuff the other thing is that serious really push you they really push you to take out even if your card's got nothing to do with it they now want just install it on your phone and play it through your play it through your stereo I hate to think what they can do then, uh, or what can be what information is going back and forth. But when you buy a car in the US, they really, really try and push this on you. Mm-hmm. It's sort of auto-generated from you know from the dealer. It says this person's buying a car, and you just get email after. Me. I, I think I had to like six weeks worth of emails, pretty much every second or third day, from ser- trying to get me to take a Sirius XM subscription. And my car's car seven years old. The stereo doesn't doesn't support that. But they still try and still try and still try. So, uh, yeah. Anyway. Oh, it's standard on all mini models, I see, according to uh, autoevolution.com is one of the sources for this story. So do have a click through. If nothing else, they have a massive inflatable kiss, I think it is. I think that's who it is. I don't think it's Ozzy Osbourne. Or on top of their, their offices, which is different. <laughs> Sticking with this, though, but some slightly better news, and that is that there is a hub for automotive cybersecurity which has been launched in conjunction with the Research Institute of Sweden. This is going to be the first cybersecurity initiative dedicated to vehicle testing for amazingly we're at this point though you know but at least something's happening. I'm trying to look at the positive here. So the Cyber Test Lab will offer, and I'm quoting from the Automotive Management Online article, insights, methods, and test beds in collaboration with telecom experts and ethical hackers. Mm-hmm. <sighs> well, at least they're looking at it and they understand. But they should be because there are regulations in the EU mm-hmm. that hold every single board of every single OEM to account on this. There are, there are. It, it's the, the one of the things to think about this is it's a wonder it's taken so long. Yeah, that's the disappointing bit here. What is good to see is that some people are obviously understanding that the industry needs to get its act sorted. Hmm. We've said that since we've started the show when we've reported on any of these hacking things because, uh, stories because of the way companies have reacted. Mm-hmm. You can see they don't understand stroke don't care because they don't understand in many cases they're like so like the last story was serious they're relying on an oem to do it right they've said like okay we want this uh, connectivity service and serious have come along and said we can give you a connectivity service look here it is uh, this is the module you have to have in your car we'll work the back end there we go the oems haven't had to care about it they, they've only had to trust the, their suppliers are doing it right mm. because it's not in their skill set it doesn't to begin with, it doesn't make sense to have it in the skill set. No, no, I especially that, yeah. in the uh, especially in the early days, you outsource it, and then yep. maybe you go. Mm, actually, we'd rather have this in house, and then it comes to a circle, and then in five or six years' time, they'll outsource it again, but it, but with a better understanding of what it is they're outsourcing. 
we've seen it with the Continental story that we've covered recently. Hmm. Continental are a massive supplier to virtually all the OEMs of stuff that isn't on the outside of the car. Hmm. Security will be part of that, ironically. But security will be part of that. And it is only right and is what you would hope that these companies do go to what are perceived as the experts in it. Hmm. But they do also need understand they need understanding themselves to know what to look for and that's yeah. where it sometimes falls over exactly exactly that and then uh, because remember that, that you go oh well, that's normal it security stuff well the it folk are nowhere near the vehicle development folk yeah they'll be doing essentially the same thing making sure networks work and things don't fall down but the scale the teams are completely different uh, i've seen that myself and working with with automotive <laughs> the, the people who who are making sure that the network's work and are protected against cyber attacks so people don't take down the factories are not the same people who are working with integrating the systems into the cars to make sure the baddies don't take down the cars yeah quote unquote mm-hmm. oh, i've talked to both i've talked about yeah do you want to take us to uh, the next article which is about a company that most people won't even know before it disappears <laughs> yes this weekend who cares news <laughs> I don't even know why we're covering this, to be honest. Borgward has been declared bankrupt after failed rescue efforts. Um, A Chinese court rules revived German car brand. I mean, revived. I mean, we are talking about the minimum level of revived. You know, it's brain dead, pretty much. To be liquidated, putting a stop to global launch plans. I, I mean, really? Well, they were one of those going to be the next next big thing. They were. They were. Were they? I don't yeah, know that they were. They were I, hyped I, to be. So I went, I went and I looked. I thought there was a Borgward stand at Geneva a few years ago. And I went back through my photos, thousands and thousands of boring photos, and discovered that, yeah, sure, I had a picture of the Borgward stand seven years ago. And the Borgward stand at the time, uh, at Geneva, seven years ago, had a Borgward Isabella on it. I think it was an Isabella, one of the cars from the 50s or 60s, when Borgward was still a thing. Still an actual proper German automotive manufacturer. But on the busiest day at the Geneva Motor Show, the first public Saturday, there was nobody on their stand. They had Mm. done the press days and then they had cleared off. And I'm sorry, but to me, that does not mean you're just there for the press release. You're not there to actually sell stuff. You're not there to actually interact with the public. Do you know what? I couldn't give two hoots about this. And Mm. quite frankly, uh, in my learned opinion, they brought it upon themselves. I don't really care. Another sort of upstart has has died without really ever delivering something. I think I saw someone point out that they were available in Luxembourg. And judging by the picture there, it looks... I don't know if that was actually a real car. I've just closed the window, actually. Um, I don't know if that was actually a real car. But it looked like a BMW X1 with a different nose on it. But I could be wrong. But there were some renderings as well. Yeah. Who knew making cars is hard? Hmm. Can we talk about e-scooters? That's far more interesting. Yes. Let's go to Nottingham. And whereas we've been talking about many places are pausing or shutting down or potentially shutting down their e-scooter trials, Nottingham is going to extend it into 2024 along with the new extension the government has given. This was part of the popular super pedestrian run rental e-scooter trial scheme. (laughs) Super pedestrian. Oh, my word. (laughs) 
Uh, they are now going to keep going. It has apparently been really quite popular in Nottingham. I haven't driven through Nottingham for a while, so I don't know if they've got infrastructure there now because mm. they have had the car park levy, talking of stories we've previously talked about, Leicester last week are pausing theirs or st- scrapping theirs, but they have been going for a while and they have been putting that money back into active travel and public transport which is if you're going to do something like this is which is what has to happen most people can get on board with that if they're going to see some sort of positive outcome i think what's quite interesting here is that they did they they actually changed supplier because originally it was wind and you try and tell me that that's better than being called super pedestrian before changing it to this uh, super pedestrian last december I think that the, the, there is an evolution there, and, and they've obviously learned from the first release, and this is them on their, their second iteration. Yeah, because it does say in the article that's linked in the show notes from Move Electric that over the course of their trial, they have reacted quite well when concerns have been raised. Mm-hmm. So they've they've introduced parking racks, marked bays. There's a requirement to upload a photo showing each machine has been parked correctly, so it's a bit like whenever mm-hmm. your parcel gets delivered now, so someone yeah. has to look at your front door. And stuff yeah. like that. And they've also got a three strikes and you're out policy for anyone who uses a scooter in a way that is either contravening the road laws or is not a concurrent with their T's and C's. So that's good. Yeah, yeah. It, 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 there seems to be such a difference between different councils and different scooter provider companies. Does seem to be, yeah. The, the difference I'm really noticing is those who are doing it in partnership as opposed to those who are just being yeah. told to do it or... Have got the one the tender and then just doing what they seem to want. Spin in Northamptonshire did seem to be pretty well run. I mean, especially some of the areas where you really are trying to beat down scrotes to stop trying to find new and inventive ways of of gaming the system. <laughs> but they seem to be working quite well with the police, with the council, and and everyone to work together as opposed to your scooters causing trouble. Stop it. Yeah, which is obviously how everybody in Canterbury speaks. Obviously. Obviously. Well, now you've used that generic accent, do you want to take us up north? Yeah. (laughs) Northern. Rail operator Northern. It's banning e-scooters from trains and stations. And they're saying it's uh, horror stories of fires caused by lithium-ion batteries in the machines catching fire. Uh, It just sounds like a load of rubbish to me. But never mind. However, this does apply to all e-scooters hoverboards. It's not a hoverboard. And e-skateboards. And they're quite right. The thing is, why would you have them there anyway? Because they're illegal on public roads and public places. They should only yeah. be in private spaces. So you shouldn't have them in the stations anyway. No. So exactly. I completely understand with that. It seems a bit weird. I don't think the horror stories of fires is the real reason is the real reason. That sounds that sounds a bit made up. To be honest, let's face it, some of Northern's rail stock is so old and decrepit, it's more likely to catch fire before an e-scooter <laughs> is, uh, no matter how dodgy and Chinesium the e-scooter is. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, they point out devices aren't actually approved for use in the UK. But this doesn't cover, by the way, that the ban does not cover electric wheelchairs and e-bikes are also yeah. exempt. And you're allowed the even bigger menace of the mobility scooter, provided you have registered it with the mobility scooter permit scheme. Mm. Who knew? You, you're allowed to run over people's toes on a mobility scooter still. <laughs> I think, with that cheery note, we are at the end of the first part. Uh, we are, goodness me. It's been a little bit of a short news week, hence talking about Northern D-scooters, but hey, it gave us something to laugh at. 
What we're not laughing at, of course, is Guilt Minute, the quick break in the show where we ask for a tad of financial support to keep the lights on and the hosting running. If you feel the motoring podcast is worth a small consideration every month, then you can become a patron. Different levels of patron include different levels of commitment from us to you, including being able to watch the show recorded live. We also have a small range of merchandise in our spring store, from stickers to mugs and t-shirts. If you don't have any spare cash, we completely understand. You can help us by following for free from the podcast player to receive every show as they're released and by liking and rating the show in whatever way your podcast supplier lets you. If you've done all that, and some of you do, so thank you very, very much, then the last thing you can do is to recommend us to your friends or colleagues. Thank you, everyone that does. Mm-hmm. You rock. Right, designers mood board. It's been a while. And this is the news that the former Dacia and Renault designer, Jean-Philippe Salah, has moved to their new mobility company, Mobilise. Uh, really imaginatively titled. It's almost like they've come to the Motoring Podcast for naming. Hey, May it has a Z in it. <laughs> yes. Okay. Uh, uh, yeah, well, uh, we were talking about this just before the show started. And whilst... It's not a huge move as in company-wise. It's an internal appointment. It is actually going to be quite an... Ex- I would I would think it's going to be quite an exciting appointment for Salah because this is going to be quite cutting edge. You can have quite a lot of fun here in messing around and pushing the boundaries of what they might offer when it comes to mobility. So scooters, small micro evs that sort of stuff um you know looking at the twizzy and then they had other things that they've they've produced and you see the likes of toyota are doing very similar all all companies are looking at this because they realize cars are the options with cars are getting less and less particularly as Mm. regulation comes along and more and more cities are saying we don't want cars we want smaller things to move around people or public transport so they're they're trying to be ahead of the game somewhat mm-hmm. even i mean even general motors are in on this with brake drop mm-hmm. as well if i were a designer i'd be looking forward to this because this is a whole new series of challenges yeah in one aspect but it, at the same time giving an awful lot of styling freedom because you've got no no background and you can actually by no background i mean no history or heritage you have to necessarily rely on and so you can be a bit more wacky and out there it sounds like it's a perfect final year student project. That's what it's like. Doesn't it? And yeah. now the people who've been working for years get to go back and do that again. Hmm. It's, like, it's like the brake drop. At some point we will speak to brake drop, where you've got the little sort of powered trolleys that fit into the, the bigger containers on the medium-sized vehicle, which in turn, that container can be loaded in their multiples into a bigger vehicle uh, so that you can have, you know, it goes down the whole Thunderbirds world. Yes, that's, that's what it gets like. Honestly, actually, that's a far better, that's a far better description, I think, than many of them, is that you've got the whole sort of modular Thunderbirds 2 releases, Thunderbird 5, or whatever, somebody's going to correct me on my Thunderbird numbers, uh, <laughs> and, and all this kind of stuff. That's where the, those creative freedoms come from, and that's why that it's, I think that's a really cool job. It's one that I would want. Yeah. yeah and we still don't know what mobility is yet, really. No one's We've not got it properly defined. We're still experimenting as a society, oh, yeah. which is great. But we've talked about, I mean, even the show, we've talked about a whole bunch of different mobility things, and including this. It's mm. it's good stuff. Yeah, I find it really interesting, which is why we bore you with it most weeks. We don't bore them. We help. We don't. Educate. That's why we inform you with it each week. Yes. 
<laughs> Come on, do you want to take do you want to take us to the lunchtime read then? Yes, it's actually from July. I hadn't realised it was so long ago, but then at the start of July, I was a little bit busy. It's a really nice story from a friend of the show, uh, Gavin Braithwaite-Smith on Haggerty, talking about restoring his Peugeot 406 Coupe, which is is a, a vehicle out of a hedge story, and he's just put a lot of time, a lot of effort, a lot of work into it, and he has a, a lovely car. And it's it's nice to find out what Gav's up to, of course, but also he talks about just the the challenges of doing it as much as is anything else. I think any of us who've had an automotive project or two will understand those challenges and and be able to empathize. Mm -hmm. So it's good. It's well worth it. By the way, if you've got extra time, the last bit of Mr. Pollitt on uh, Car and Classics and his Rover is a 45-minute monster of an episode. And again, if you're looking for a second lunchtime to fill, uh, possibly with a little bit of ASMR type stuff, then um, then do have a watch of that. <laughs> people cleaning cars. I hate cleaning cars. Kind of find it interesting when people are doing it. I love cleaning cars. I'm going to take us to the list of the week. And this again from Haggerty is 10 of the 1990s concept cars that let designers run wild. Alan, there's only 10, so I'm not going to name mine. But from this list, is there, and I think I know which it is, is there one in particular that stands out more than any of the others? This is such a good list, by the way. There are no bad choices on this list, despite what Andrew might think. The one that stands out for me is the BMW E1. Was I that predictable? <laughs> I knew it was that. I nearly said it in pre-show, but I didn't want to spoil it. <laughs> The thing about the, the BMW E1 is compact electric car, a good-looking compact electric car. Let's just uh, make sure we clarify that because we're talking about <laughs> BMW. But it was from 1991 when BMW were doing good-looking cars. 124-mile range, could do 75 miles an hour, could do all sorts of cool stuff. Actually, what happened to the prototype was it got caught in a fire in a warehouse, and so it does not exist anymore. Uh, sadly. But no, my BMW E1, I thought that was so cool at the time. I still think it's cool now. And I think it's great. I think it's... It's a wonderful design, um, what do you call them, design study. I think it was the future as seen back then. Mm. And I think that if it hadn't been for the 10, 15 year hiatus in between, it would have been awesome. I think there was lots of ideas, but just I don't think the battery tech and the motor control tech quite existed to make these things work back then. Very, very cool. This is a fantastic list, though. There are many very cool things on it. Yep. And I, I don't want to say them all out loud, but they're not all by car designers. And finally... Yes, the ask finally falls to me this week. It is the start of December. It is time for us uh, to remind you that John Mail is running his auto advent uh, on Twitter. He has made it easier this year. <laughs> <laughs> you are stretching the credulity. Oh, I of almost managed easy. a straight face when I said that. I just, I, it's always beyond me. I, I just don't have the, the sticking power. I'm I'm terrible, terrible, lazy person. It basically, you do need a Scrabble board. A Scrabble board would be helpful. Each day gives a set of Scrabble letters at 8 o'clock uh, GMT. And it's building up basically a Scrabble board based on, based on you have to sort of choose the best 
the best possible score of a car name uh, or a car model name uh, or something car related to build to add to the board and score the the highest score i mean yesterday naturally near <laughs> managed to score 28 to create nsx st and marvel x whatever a marvel x is and he did that using only two tiles worth one point because near yes quite yeah by all means join in go for it i love that john goes to the effort every year of yep. thinking up these things and then and then sticking with them throughout the month of december i think it's really cool and this one actually is quite good because it does rely on it relies on sort of knowledge with a trigger rather than goodness me what is that ancient vehicle that nobody has ever heard of <laughs> yes <laughs> uh, and it saves, saves having to solve cryptic crossword clues as well which i i just cannot do awesome stuff really go join in i enjoy it. i'm so many hours later that everybody else seems to have shown their hands by that point there's no real point in joining in but if you are in the uk or, or, or earlier or to the east of the uk then then by all means get on with it oh <laughs> uh, i think that's us no parish notes this week no parish notes excellent so we'll round up then, and uh, it's time for me to to remind you that between now and next week, you can give us any feedback and share your thoughts with the show at Motoring Podcast on Twitter and Instagram, on Facebook, and on the contact page of motoringpodcast.com, the hub of all our activities. Uh, remember, you can support us financially via Patreon, and please leave a review and rating on Apple Podcasts or however your podcast app lets you do such a thing. Andrew, what's the best way to get in touch with you? Best way to get in touch with me is via Twitter. If you search for Crack Windscreen, you should find me there. And if you're interested, I am on Mastodon, which my address is in my Twitter profile. So search for there. And Alan, if people would like to discuss, say, I don't know, the list of the week with you, what's the best way personally? Best way to get in touch with me really is to use Twitter, where I'm at AJP Bradley. That's B-R-A-D-L-E-Y. Similar with a Mastodon setup. Same username. It's all linked in my, in my, my Twitter profile. Anyway, just uh, for the day it all collapses. Uh, <laughs> that said, we're going to be back very soon. But until then, I've been Alan Bradley. I've been Andrew Clues. And safe motoring. <laughs>